Hello, this is the Neurodivergent Woman podcast. I'm Monique Mitchelson and I'm a clinical psychologist. And I'm Michelle Levock and I'm a clinical neuropsychologist. This is a podcast where we center and showcase neurodivergent women from all walks of life. Covering autism to ADHD and everything in between, we aim to educate and inspire women who think differently. Today, Monique and I are talking about the female hormone cycle and hormones in general. And this is a topic that both of us are incredibly excited to chat about. I know for me, it's actually only been in my early 30s that I have become more aware of what actually is involved in the female hormone cycle, what happens at different points in our cycle, how that impacts our memory, our appetite, our exercise stamina, our libido, our socialization, every single thing to do with how we operate in the world. And I think, you know, it's such a crime that girls aren't taught this in school. I don't know what your experience with that has been, Monique. I honestly didn't really think much about my hormones or periods until my mid-20s when I had a health crisis and I had a burnout um, and I started experiencing problems related to my hormones and my periods, including period pain that was so bad that on occasion I actually had to go to the emergency department, Mm. which basically did nothing. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, I'm sure they took that very seriously, right? Um, (laughs) we were waiting for hours and hours, um, basically in the middle of the night until morning to be seen. Mm. And then I got told I could come back the next day for a scan if I wanted. Um, we had a couple of tests done, but really the, the doctor who looked very tired from being on night shift said there really wasn't much they could do, offered me Panadol, which hadn't really helped anyway. And then we went home even more sleep deprived. So yeah. Yeah. And I think that type of response really speaks to our patriarchal medical model, denial of women's pain, but also just a complete lack of understanding about what is normal Um, When should we be concerned with period pain? How do we actually manage that? What are the other factors that could be going on that actually could be contributing to an exacerbating extreme pain during our menstrual cycle? Not only is that not common knowledge, I find it's actually not even, you know, common medical knowledge. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, For me personally, I've seen specialists and most of the time, even, you know, a, a women's hormonal specialist wasn't able to offer much more than for me to change my birth control pill that I was on, which did not resolve any of my symptoms at all. And what did you find eventually did resolve those symptoms? I did a deep dive, um, as you do when you Mm -hmm. are autistic, and basically made it my mission to learn in detail everything about women's hormones, read many books and articles on it. And then I sort of discovered um, the power of the hormonal cycle, which has different parts to it. I looked at what was the best nutrition and lifestyle stuff I could do to manage hormonal issues. And I also went and saw an integrative GP. So having the best of both worlds with someone in the medical system, but who also was willing to look at my issues with a holistic viewpoint as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I found yeah, stress was definitely connected to my experience of pain and problems as well. 
Yeah, and it often is so tricky to find a medical professional that is willing to actually look beyond um, what's in a medical textbook or, you know, what is quote unquote assumed knowledge. Um, I think, you know, as we've dived into as a society, this kind of really medical model focus of treating ailments, illnesses, um, which obviously has its benefit. I'm not for one second saying that modern medicine is a crock. Um, It's definitely not. But I think, you know, if we engage in one form of treatment at the exclusion of everything else, at the exclusion of intuitive knowledge, at the exclusion of diet, sleep, you know, taking into account all these contextual lifestyle factors, it really doesn't holistically treat someone's issues or ailments. And I think, you know, it speaks to just a broader issue in our society, which is everything is set up for the male hormone cycle. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually saw an article that talked about how even architecture So things like our doorways, door handles, um, subways, the foundation of the cities that we're living in were actually designed to accommodate men's bodies, not sort of everyone's bodies that inhabit the earth. And within the medical model, because women weren't able to get equal right to education, while the medical system was being formed, most of the uh, medical research that has been done in the past was by men. And through their own lens, a lot of medications are actually mostly tested on men's bodies. So even the doses of your medications um, Mm -hmm. are not really tested for women's metabolisms, women's hormonal cycle, women's bodies. And a lot of people actually aren't aware of this. And, you know, I think just recognizing these things it's not about sort of vilifying men or anything like that but it's more about just recognizing the impact that history and societal and cultural conditions have had on even basic things that we take for granted that don't include looking at things through a woman's lens or accommodating it to suit her body or her lifestyle. And and that even translates to, um, like we were talking about, the hormonal cycles. So basically the eight-hour working day is not really designed for women's hormonal cycles. It's actually designed for men's hormonal cycles because they have the same hormone levels and the same cycles that kind of rotate on a 24-hour period. So they are feeling the same and having the same forces within their body happen at the same time every day, whereas women's hormonal cycles fluctuate over a whole month period and we, you know, perform differently and feel differently and think differently at different times in our cycles And so even just the five-day working week where you get two days off, the same two days every week, again, does not really Mm. suit women's hormonal cycles. Even the calendar year that we use, 12 months a year, again, does not actually match women's hormonal cycles. So the old calendar system um, before the current Roman calendar system that is currently used was 13 months a year. And it was 28 days a month, which correlate to a woman's hormonal cycle um, rather than 12 months per year. That's um, so fascinating. With a different variation of days every month. So Mm. the old cycle was actually more in tune to the women's hormonal cycle. And there are 13 full moons every year as well, which was in tune to that. And I even went to a Tony Atwood talk recently 
on autism in girls. And he made mention of noticing the hormonal cycles in some of his female clients and linked them to the moon, which was quite interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Mm. Love a bit of spicy psychology. Let's dive in now and have a little bit of a chat about what actually goes on in the 28-day or one-month hormonal cycle for women. So there's three main hormones that we need to be aware of. Um, We've got estrogen, which is the female sex hormone. Progesterone, which is another female sex hormone, has a completely different function to estrogen, which we'll dive into. And then we have testosterone, which is the male sex hormone, traditionally known as that, but women also have testosterone as well. So We can roughly break our 28-day hormonal cycle into four distinct sort of weeks or periods within the cycle. Week one starts with your menstruation week. So it starts the first day that you start bleeding. Our week one, our kind of bleeding week, is the week where at the start of that week, the estrogen levels are the lowest and they gradually are sort of rising throughout the week. So the impact that that has is typically at the start of the week, we might feel quite fatigued, might be wanting to isolate, um, feeling less social, and that sort of slowly and surely picks up throughout that kind of menstruation week, um, where the more estrogen we have as it sort of slowly rises, our patience with others increase, um, desire to socialize increases, verbal skills, memory slightly improves, and libido rises as well. Mm -hmm. So more interested in sex as the week goes on. The other thing that happens as our estrogen rises is the appetite can start to get a little bit more suppressed. And we'll talk a bit more about what happens with hunger, food, um, what nutrients we need uh, when we kind of circle back around and chat about the end of our cycle is where we're going into that menstruation. But basically in that menstruation week, we're sort of slowly kind of getting that increase in estrogen and our tolerance for things um, is gradually going up. So during that menstruation week, um, particularly in the first and second day of your period when it's, you know, normally the heaviest, it is actually important to try and build in time to rest Mm. during that period of time because I think people don't give credit to how much of your body's energy and resources and your immune system's energy and resources actually go into creating a period. Um, You know, there will be people who have perhaps um, gone through really stressful times or they're malnutritioned and their body actually doesn't have the extra resources to give them a period at those times. So that's showing you how much energy that's actually taking So it's really important to rest. If you're going to do exercise, think about doing something gentle, like gentle stretching, yoga, meditation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really connects, Monique, with what you were saying earlier about how our sort of general work week that we have set up where, you know, you get the same two days off every week really doesn't gel with women with what's going on in our hormonal cycles, because Ideally, we would want to take the first two days of our period off every month so that we can rest, so that we can be alone, so that we can conserve our energy, both physical energy and, you know, emotional, more kind of psychic energy as well. So it's really interesting because a lot of accounts from native cultures talk about how during that period week, that menstruation week, women typically 
leave the group. They go away, they sort of are on their own or in conjunction or in connection with other women who are also on their menstruation week. And, you know, we've had this super colonial colonist idea of why that is. And it's all been around oh, well, you know, these cultures are so primitive. They think that women are dirty during that week and and they have to leave because they're unclean. And that's actually not the case at all. That's a projection. White cultures have the idea that women are dirty during their period week. For these native cultures, actually the purpose of removing women from the group at that period was for their own protection because it was recognized and acknowledged how much energy it takes to go through menstruation and the sort of real intuition that women feel, particularly at the very start of your period when your estrogen is the lowest. So in the couple of days before your period, and we'll talk about that when we sort of cycle back and talk about, you know, the end of our menstruation cycle, but that intuition, that connection to self, that sort of need for isolation, solitude, protection of your energy, that has been recognized culturally and the tribe would even make sure that there was food um, for all the women so they didn't have to exert themselves preparing food they didn't have to do their normal duties and yeah i think that is a really awesome concept and something that i've tried to be more conscious of so now when i'm planning my schedule i'm i'm aware of when my menstruation week is likely to happen um, because I track my cycle and I try to actually consciously not schedule anything around those days, those first couple of days during my period. And I find that if I conserve my energy and rest, I actually have more energy the rest of my cycle. I completely agree, Monique. And I think when we really tune into and respond to what our body is telling us, and, and the reason I emphasize that is because you know, a lot of the time we know what our body is telling us. We know what our body is needing from us, but because we might feel like we don't have a right to act on that, or we should be able to cope in a certain way, or our body shouldn't need this thing, we don't respond to it. Mm -hmm. We don't act on it. The call goes left unanswered. So when we're listening to and responding to our body's needs, I find that that energy is returned to us later on in our cycle when we actually are more capable of utilizing it. Yeah, and I think sometimes if you have been on the birth control pill or some form of artificial hormones for birth control, especially over a long period of time, because the artificial hormones aren't actually kind of going through that cycle, often because of that, there is a lot of difficulty connecting with your body and with that intuitive cycle and even, yeah, just recognizing that the impact that it can have on you. And it is good to note that a lot of people don't realize that when you um, are taking the sugar pills on the birth control pill, you're not actually having a period, you're having a withdrawal bleed. Mm. Um, and again, it's actually not the same as if you had like an actual period. So a lot of people aren't realizing they're not really ovulating and they're not having periods potentially for 5, 10, 15 years. Mm. Um, and a lot of people of our generation, um, you know, us being in our 30s, have been on the birth control since they were 15. Yeah. I think it's really important that doctors and health practitioners fully go through with you what are the long-term impacts of potentially being on birth control for a really long period of time and potentially down the track if you have 
shut off your ovulation and your periods for, again, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, the birth control pill has suppressed potential hormonal imbalances. It's definitely helpful in terms of managing symptoms and pain and stuff like that, but it's actually not fixing the underlying hormonal imbalance. And that's ready and waiting for you when one day you can no longer take the birth control pill. And Mm -hmm. again, as you get older, sometimes it's not recommended that you are on the birth control pill over a certain age. That's a great point about your underlying hormonal imbalances or underlying issues actually being there waiting for you um, when you stop taking the pill. And oftentimes, doctors are very keen to prescribe a birth control, a hormonal birth control pill for any issue relating to the Mm. female hormone cycle. You know, I have so many friends who at various points through their life have gone to their GP, their primary practitioner, with an issue relating to either their periods or hormonal stuff, um, you know, anything like that. Acne. Acne, exactly. And the immediate response is, we'll put you on the pill. And I think we're basically just saying there, let's suppress these issues. Let's not actually treat them. And that goes back to the fact that as a medical profession, we have no idea about women's hormone cycles. We have no idea how to manage these things from a medical standpoint. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because, um, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of research in uh, women's health and hormones and women's um, autoimmune diseases like endometriosis are underfunded. And I guess you would expect there to be more research and more progress considering, you know, how long we've known about these issues. And hormonal imbalances are relevant, you know, even for us as psychologists because they do affect uh, women's emotional states, your mental health. If you have a really severe hormonal imbalance, it can actually look like depression or anxiety or anger issues and it could actually be an underlying imbalance and I don't know if there is like research on this but I've just noticed that a lot of women who are neurodiverse are coming in with comorbid other issues like hormonal autoimmune diseases, endometriosis, PCOS, period pain, like really severe PMS. Um, So yeah, I do feel potentially there could be that correlation between Mm. being neurodiverse and having potentially a higher chance of having some of those experiences. Mm, Yeah, for sure. So let's dive into week two of our cycle. Week two is basically when our estrogen and our testosterone rise until they peak. So week two ends in our ovulation. So this week in our cycle is essentially when your body is really trying to get you pregnant. It really, really wants to be impregnated. So um, this is the week when we're a lot more social. We can tolerate a lot more. We tend to be a lot more patient with people, particularly if you're in a relationship, you're likely to be a lot more patient with your partner during week two and sort of niggling issues that have been annoying in your relationship. You're probably likely to be a little bit less pissed off by them during this week. Higher pain tolerance, just higher tolerance and higher energy levels in general. We also tend to think a bit faster, more verbal, a bit of a sharper memory during this week. And the reason that we've got a higher pain tolerance as well 
is because high estrogen actually triggers the release of endorphins. So endorphins being our kind of happy hormones, um, making us feel good. So it makes it easier to tolerate uncomfortable feelings, whether that be pain or emotions. The other interesting thing that estrogen does for us during this week in particular, when the levels are quite high, is it actually makes you objectively more physically attractive. So it triggers really subtle changes in the soft tissue of your face, making your face more symmetrical. So your body is really pulling out all the guns. <laughs> it's saying, we're getting pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the other really cool thing about weeks one and two, when our estrogen level is rising, is you can also build more muscle during those weeks. So in week two, it's probably the best time to do more like resistance training, strength-based exercise. Our testosterone also rises during this week. So it peaks um, at you know the point of our ovulation. So this actually leads to more impulsive behavior. We tend to be more competitive as well during this week. So for myself, when I'm in this week and when I'm looking at my schedule, this is the week where I would schedule more challenging things, things that I might've put off at the times where I didn't have the energy or the concentration to do it. Um, so anything challenging or stimulating, I'll kind of schedule for that week, new experiences potentially, and more intense exercise. Yeah, this week is a great week to get shit done, basically. And this goes back to what we were saying a little earlier, which is if you actually rest when your body is telling you to, in this kind of second week of your cycle, you're able to do the things that you didn't have the energy for during this week of the cycle. And what I've definitely found is the times when I push through and don't rest um, at the very end of my cycle in the first few days of menstruation, I'm exhausted the second week. I actually find it really hard to kind of reap the benefits from those changes in hormones during that week. But if I do respond in the way that my body is calling me to, then my second week is great and I can get so much done. And I think it's also important to acknowledge while we're talking about periods and hormonal cycles that not every woman has a hormonal cycle. Not every woman experiences periods for various different reasons. If you're someone who's a woman that doesn't experience a hormonal cycle or periods, what you can do is to just try and be in tune with your own body cycles, whatever those may be. Or, you know, be aware of what Michelle and I are talking about today and use that as a guideline for yourself anyway. Mm, great point. Brains can get very noisy. I tend to go through phases in what's most helpful in quieting that noise and recentering. And at the moment, I've been gravitating towards music and soundscapes, slowly making my way through a huge library on the Calm app. And I've been trying to get better at having a more peaceful morning routine. And I've definitely found that the morning playlists really help a lot with that, actually. Yeah, I think most people think of meditation as the only way we can ground ourselves and quiet our brain, but sound and music are actually so helpful. What's really cool about the music and sound library on Calm is the variety. They've got playlists for times of the day and certain moods, soundscapes, and even alpha wave and bilateral stimulation tracks, which can be incredibly effective at helping you to emotionally regulate and getting your brain in a sleep-ready state. 
For sure. My favorites at the moment are the Disney soundscapes. So they've got things like an evening in Jasmine's garden, Merida's mystical Scottish forest, um, as well as other ones that you'd expect, like rolling thunderstorms and the like. The Calm app puts the tools that you need to feel better in your back pocket. If you go to calm.com forward slash neuro, you'll get a special offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription and new content is added every week. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com forward slash neuro. Go to calm.com slash n-e-u-r-o for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com forward slash neuro. Let's jump forward to our week three. Really interesting thing happens straight after ovulation. And Monique, you were alluding to this earlier when you were talking about the energy um, requirement around our menstruation and actually also the fact that we go through a massive energy output around ovulation. So the most obvious time that we have an estrogen dip is at the very end of our cycle uh, when we're about to bleed. But we actually have our first dip in estrogen the day after ovulation. Most women actually experience a big drop in mood and drop in energy levels immediately following their ovulation. It's not as deep of a drop um, compared to what occurs at the end of our cycle, but it is quite a distinct dip. So this happens in the middle of our cycle, in the middle of our month, and you might be experiencing irritability, fatigue, low mood, but probably only briefly, you know, maybe for a day or so. And then that estrogen kind of picks back up again a little bit before it starts. It's sort of, you know, wending its way into that decline towards the end of our cycle. And with ovulation, some people can experience pain with ovulation. And the term for it is a German word called Mittelschmerz. Love it. Which actually means middle pain. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes as well, like I have personally experienced even you know, migraines um, with Mm. ovulation, Mm. um, probably from that drop in estrogen the day after. So the other thing that happens in that third week is a rise in our hormone progesterone. Progesterone is a sedating hormone, um, generally speaking, and it basically makes you feel more cautious, quieter, a little bit more foggy, um, and you can feel a bit more physically fatigued. So Lots of women in this third week, so the week following ovulation, often experience, you know, sadness. They might feel more emotional. The other thing that happens is our body tends to crave food that's high in fats um, and we might have a bigger appetite. And what I find often when we are in that week when our body is telling us, you know, eat more eat more of this particular type of food, we can often resist that. And, you know, we worry about, oh, I don't want to eat these types of foods. But again, listen to your body. Your body is not going to tell you to eat these foods at every single point in your cycle. It's telling you right now that it needs more food, that it needs these particular types of food. And if we're eating too little and we're not listening to our body, we actually end up having much stronger mood swings because we're more sensitive to drops in blood pressure during this week. So, you know, eating what your body is telling you to eat is going to help you have a stable mood during that week. 
The other thing that happens in this week is our libido starts to drop, you know, throughout the week, but we actually tend to feel more emotionally connected or emotionally close to our partner if you're in a relationship. So again, you know, it's normal for a woman's sex drive libido to fluctuate during your cycle. And there's certainly times in the cycle when your body is telling you that it wants to have sex. And there's also times in the cycle where your body is saying, no, thanks. And if you listen to that and you actually respond to and tune into your sex drive, you're actually going to have much more satisfying sex if you're doing it after listening to your body's cues and doing it when your body wants to have it rather than thinking, oh, I should have sex. So this third week is just not necessarily the week when you're going to want to have lots of sex. And that's okay. This is the week that your body is telling you that it wants to be connected and emotionally engaged with your partner. So around the end of that phase, um, for me personally, when I'm scheduling my month or my week, I would start to gear down um, and start to do less intense exercise and start to rest a little bit more and do some self-care activities that I enjoy, like having a bath Mm -hmm. or something like that. So entering our fourth week of our cycle, our final week before actual menstruation, estrogen is having its second dip during this week. So it's really on the down. What is interesting though, is we generally feel less tired in week four compared to week three, because progesterone is coming back up. Our week four, that's our intuitive week. That's when, because estrogen is dipping down, um, we're not really worried about connecting with others, or we're not super focused on presenting ourselves in a way that's going to be appealing to other people. We're really focused on what we're feeling what our body is telling us, what's going on intuitively for us. So week four is a really great time to journal because what I find is that emotional issues or persistent kind of concerns that you have or thoughts that you might have, um, if you notice that they're consistently coming up in that week four of your cycle, then that's probably a pretty good indication that you should pay attention to them. And lots of women find that this week four is often the time when they start to feel like, Maybe they don't want to be in the relationship that they're in. Maybe the job that they're in isn't right for them. Maybe they're not actually okay with their family dynamics or, you know, what's going on kind of interpersonally. And when we see a pattern in these things that keep coming up during this intuitive week, I think we really need to pay attention to that. Yeah. And you can definitely see there is like a complex interplay between the three different hormones, the estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone. And so it is really important that if you are on some sort of birth control with artificial hormones in it or some sort of hormone replacement therapy that you really be informed and ask about what types of Mm. artificial hormones does that pill or therapy actually contain in it because some of them only contain one hormone um, and that can you know in itself potentially lead to a hormonal imbalance down the track because your body's only getting one out of three or two out of three if that makes sense yeah The other thing that can happen in our week four is we can get a little bit of a return in your libido, but that's not actually because of hormones. Researchers sort of believe that that's because your nerve endings in your vulva and vagina are becoming more open and stimulated in preparation for your menstruation. So you can be a little bit more responsive during that week. But obviously that varies depending on, you know, woman to woman, um, but that can occur as well. The other thing that I think is important to keep in mind for this week four is 
your body is really craving safety during this week and predictability. So you made the really great point earlier, Monique, that in your week two, that's when you might try something new, do something different, something that's quite stimulating. Week four, the opposite is what we want to do. If you're going out to dinner, go somewhere you've already been before. If you're trying an approach to a problem, do something that you know works, right? This is the week where we want things to be predictable. We want them to be the same. We want to feel safe in our environment. So we've gone through now our hormone cycles for fertile women. Of course, as women, we go through another stage of hormone fluctuation in our life, and that's our perimenopause and menopause. So as most people might know, menopause is when our body stops releasing eggs and we stop being fertile. So we stop bleeding, we stop going through the 28-day hormone cycle. So the main change that happens there is a drop in estrogen and progesterone as we stop releasing eggs. So that obviously has you know multiple effects across our mental health, our thinking skills, our bodies. But the really important thing, I guess, to flag there is it's a normal part of aging as a woman. And there's plenty of really incredible books out there that talk about how to manage that stage in your life and that change in your hormones in a way that's working with your body and not against it. Um, what we might actually do is I might add to the show notes today um, just some books uh, that I would really recommend around that cycle because, again, it's not something that we talk about as a society. It's not normalized. And I feel like any woman's hormone issue or hormone changes or natural periods in a woman's hormone cycles are really relegated to either mystery or that woman's being crazy. Mm. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. Something else that can be interesting is that, you know, if you are neurodiverse, um, particularly if you are autistic, you know, sometimes having any change in your body can be really difficult to deal with. So sometimes that first change around puberty can be really difficult and, you know, even experiencing, I guess, those hormonal cycles or if you have irregular cycles, there can be that mm. change in routine for people to adjust to. But yeah, perimenopause and menopause is another big change to that routine. And so it's really good to prepare yourself for that ahead of time so that you can get used to that change, um, you know, for when it comes yeah, that's a fantastic point. And, you know, thinking about earlier in the life cycle when we transition from, you know, childhood into adolescence as a girl and a woman, lots of girls on the autism spectrum find that really tricky to manage because it's that sense of, well, who am I if everything about me feels like it's changing? Mm. Um, and I think what makes that harder to deal with and what makes that worse is not knowing about it, not having that prediction that that's going to happen. Mm. You know, when it comes to any aversive stimuli, whether that be sensory, um, you know, interpersonal, body changes, whatever, there's two ways we can make something less aversive. The first is lower the intensity of it. So if we're talking about sensory stuff, you know, manage the sensory load. But if that's not possible, you know, it's not possible to lower the intensity of, you know, our, our body's natural hormone cycles. The next option is to make it more predictable. Mm. 
So actually one of the best things we can do to prepare autistic girls for these changes, and then Monique, as you said, even as an autistic woman thinking about later in life, the changes that happen then is to make them more predictable. Mm. Learn as much as you can about it. Mm -hmm. Teach your girls about what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And divorcing it from fear and from shame is so crucially important. Mm. The experience of your four different weeks across your hormone cycle can actually be really enjoyable if you know what's coming, if you know how to manage them, and if you have an understanding that this is a really amazing, normal part of being a woman. Yeah. And I think um, you touched on a point there about sensory issues and a lot of uh, women on the spectrum can have sensory issues around their periods. Mm. Um, So even just dealing with things like tampons or menstrual cups, the sensory overload of having those changes to your mood, your emotions, the different body sensations that come up or experiences of pain. Um, So yeah, where you can try and limit sensory overload from other areas of your life around the time of your period. And that's where that maybe if you can take the day off work or, you know, stay at home and rest um, and have your familiar environment there that can really help take the load off the sensory stuff around periods for people. Yeah, that's such a fantastic point. And I think that that's relevant for everyone. Obviously, you know, the sensory load for autistic women um, can be more intense. But as you and I, Monique, were talking about a couple of episodes ago about how, you know, our nervous system is like a jug that Mm -hmm. gets filled up with experiences, with stresses, with, you know, whatever's going on. Having that understanding that going through your menstruation and different periods of your hormone cycle can add to that jug, can Mm. put pressure on that. So particularly around your bleeding week, making sure that you are limiting other sensory inputs if necessary. Yes. And I think another aspect of that as well is depending on how good your interoception is. A lot of people on the spectrum have difficulty sensing internal signals like pain. Um, And so that might make kind of being more in tune with your hormonal cycle more difficult. So if you have that, I guess, knowledge of these different signs of what it looks like and you start to keep track of them in like a a tracker or in your normal diary that can help you predict and manage some of this stuff um, rather than kind of being caught by surprise Mm, yeah fantastic point and and yeah just going back to um, what we were talking about with menopause there has been some data that i've come across sort of linking women's estrogen levels to ADHD symptoms. So for women who are ADHDers, um, when your estrogen levels drop in menopause, there are women reporting that their ADHD symptoms are a lot worse. And then there is that link as well around those times in your cycle before your period where your estrogen levels can drop, where again, women can report that their ADHD symptoms are worse as well. Yeah, and I think uh, a part of that is to do with what your baseline is. So for all women, when we experience drops in estrogen, whether that's uh, at particular points in our cycle 
or around menopause. That difficulty with attentional regulation is known to increase. So we have a harder time, you know, with just sort of daily forgetfulness, um, keeping track of things, verbal skills, verbal structure. So yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if you're an ADHDer and then you're also experiencing things like estrogen drops for, you know, whatever reason, um, you're probably going to experience a greater symptomatology compared to someone who maybe has a higher baseline. I'd like to end our episode today with a quote from Susan Sontag, and this is from her essay called The Double Standard of Aging, and she actually wrote this in 1978. So it's a beautiful quote, and it goes like this. For women, only one standard of female beauty is sanctioned, the girl. The great advantage men have is that our culture allows two standards of male beauty, the boy and the man. The beauty of a boy resembles the beauty of a girl. In both sexes, it is a fragile kind of beauty that flourishes naturally only in the early part of the life cycle. Happily, men are able to accept themselves under another standard of good looks, heavier, rougher, more thickly built. A man does not grieve when he loses the smooth, unlined, hairless skin of a boy, for he's only exchanged one form of attractiveness for another. The darker skin of a man's face, roughened by daily shaving, showing the marks of emotion and the normal lines of age. There is no equivalent of this second standard for women. The single standard of beauty for women dictates that they must go on having clear skin. Every wrinkle, every line, every grey hair is a defeat. No wonder that no boy minds becoming a man while even the passage from girlhood to early womanhood is experienced by many women as their downfall, for all women are trained to continue wanting to look like girls. So I just find that quote so incredibly resonant and powerful. Um, and I think, you know, it goes much deeper than looks. It's really our connection to ourselves. And I feel like the best move that the patriarchy made was actually to convince women to stay in a perpetual state of chasing girlhood which means that we never really connect with the power of womanhood. And what I would really invite all women to do is to actually move into that space of womanhood with intention because there's so much to offer us there. You know, being a girl is fine, but <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not a girl anymore. Mm. Yeah, definitely knowledge is power. And I feel like if you empower yourself with this knowledge about your hormonal cycle, then there is a lot of power that comes with that, with being a woman that has truly embraced womanhood. So thanks for listening today, guys. Uh, obviously, this was a very big topic. Um, and Monique and I have loved uh, standing on our soapbox. Uh, <laughs> um, so if you guys have any questions or anything you want to follow up with us, feel free to message us on Instagram or Facebook. And even comment on the Facebook and Instagram post for this episode. You know, put out your questions so other women can see as well. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, guys. Bye.